subject. Well, we've been in a series on identity, and I really feel like this is a very important topic uh, to know who we are in Christ, if we're going to walk in the things that God wants us to walk in. So in 2002, David Webb was on a mission when he was shot in the back twice, and he fell into the Mediterranean Sea. See if you know this guy. He was later rescued by some fishermen, but couldn't remember who he was or anything from his past. Over time, he discovered a clue that led him to a safety deposit deposit box in Zurich. You guys know who this is, but you're just like, is he talking who? I think he's talking about, yeah, you'll see. When he finds multiple passports from different countries and all with different identities, but with his picture on them, he also finds stacks of foreign currency in this safety deposit box from different countries. And he finds out he's part of a secret program being trained as an assassin for the CIA. Anyone know who that is yet? Jason Bourne, yeah. You can talk, it's not from the Bible. This is Jason Bourne. But uh, Jason Bourne suffered from a bad case of amnesia and couldn't remember who he was. He could remember when someone tried to attack him. He could remember languages. But he couldn't remember who he was, couldn't remember anything he was from past. He couldn't remember that he was actually David Webb. And so he had to get these passports to find out. But like Jason Bourne, I think the church has suffered with a case of uh, spiritual amnesia where at times we've been either shot in the back by life or we've had bumped in the head or something we can we go through life go through challenges and we forget who we are we forget who God says that we are so we're going to look at the life of David today and look at how at the times in his life uh, he did really really well and he was a man after God's own heart and you can't think of anyone I can't think of anyone better really other than Jesus in the Old Testament and New Testament that, that exemplified someone who was passionate and close with the Lord but then there's other times you look at David's life and it's like, who is this guy? How could he do that? Like, what was wrong? What was he thinking? What was wrong with him? So today we're going to go a little further into identity. And, and today it's going to be living out of who God says you are. It's one thing to know it. It's one thing to hear it. It's one thing to believe it. It's another thing to live out of who God says you are. So the best example we can think of, obviously, is Jesus. He did this perfectly without uh, fault. He didn't have days where he fell into depression and then he just like went, it, went led by his emotions. He only did, this is the goal, and none of us has done it perfectly, <laughs> but this is the goal, to live out of who God says we are, only do what he tells us to do, only say what he tells us to say. And that's, he is not just our, our savior, but he's also our model of what Christianity can look like, what your Christian life can look like. Your Christian life can look just like Jesus. That's, why he, that's one of the reasons why he came, amen? All right, got three or four of you on board so far. But uh, he is the exact image of the Father, like Father, like Son, right? Jesus was just like the Father. So the best example other than Jesus, again, I think is, is David. So King David, like David Webb, suffered with a case of amnesia and a case, or a case of spiritual amnesia at times, but he just forgot who he was. So we're going to look at his life today, and I'm going to show you why I'm saying this, but also show you what he did right, some things that he did right, and what, how we can model what he did in our lives and make, hopefully not make the same mistakes, but also we can do the things that he did right. So when David, David was the eighth and the youngest son of Jesse, he was a shepherd and a psalmist. He loved to play the lyre, which is a real small portable harp, much smaller than the one that, that uh, Brooks had, you know, that massive one she brought to church. And a uh, lot smaller than that, he wrote lots of songs. I love to sing and make music in his heart and to the Lord. And one of those psalms was Psalm 23 that I know all you guys know and love. We don't know how old he was when he wrote this. But it goes, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. 
He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. One thing I believe that David had, probably more than maybe anyone else in the Bible other than Jesus, is a revelation that God was with him. Man, you think, we'll get into it more later, but think about when he went at Goliath, other things that he did. He wasn't coming with his own strength. He wasn't coming as himself. He's coming as a, a man of God that knew that God was with him. Verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David had this special intimacy, this special knowing of God that very few people in the Old or New Testament had. Very few people. Uh, it was absolutely amazing. So when David was around 15 years old, he was anointed by the prophet Samuel as the future king of Israel. This had to have a major impact on his life, his identity, probably a major impact on how his brothers treated him too. Because they went through the other seven, no, 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 and then yes. So the other seven, I'm just guessing because I have one brother, and uh, some of you guys have brothers. He probably wasn't too happy that they got overlooked, and why are they picking that little guy? Uh, but anyway, I'm sure he had to work that out. But uh, before David turned 20, he was called in the service of King Saul to be his armor bearer and to play the lyre for him every time he got tormented by spirits. All right, somehow he was that good because, you know, the king's not going to hire someone who's just okay on the, on the harp thing. You know, he's going to have to be excellent. So David was specially skilled in lots of things. One was playing the, the lyre, and he got called in from his, his hometown of Bethlehem to Jerusalem to play whenever King Saul was having a bad day. All right. So uh, that was a pretty great promotion for David's life, at least he thought. All right. Um, eventually, Goliath comes on the scene, and day after day, night after night, for 40 days and 40 nights, Goliath starts making these threats and challenging uh, voices, saying, that you guys are weak, you guys are awful. He probably used some words I can't say in here. But he, he just was telling them how they're awful, and he could kill them. He's the greatest warrior. And he was just boasting who, how strong he was. Well, David happens to hear this one day, and he doesn't, want, he doesn't like this boast of how strong he was. He wants to boast of how strong God is. David never boasted how strong he was. He was the weakest guy out there, at least the youngest guy out there. His armor, uh, King Saul's armor wouldn't fit and different things. But he heard this, and he had some words for Goliath after they agreed to let this guy fight. This is quite a risk because they had challenge was kind of like in the movie Troy, where your warrior fights our warrior, and whoever one loses, the other one becomes their slaves. Instead of everybody fighting and a bunch of people dying, we're just going to have one person die, and then the loser is becoming slaves of the other one. So this was, the stakes were high. So for Saul to let this little guy run at him with a slingshot, I mean, he must have heard God, or David definitely convinced him. But Samuel 17 says this, Then David said to the Philistine, that's Goliath, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, and all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all the assemblies uh, shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, but the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hands. This guy is probably 17, 18 years old. He's not even 20 yet. And he's looking at this guy who's almost 10 feet tall. His, his shield is almost 100 pounds. You know, he's, his spear, I can't remember how much he said. This guy is uh, Goliath. <laughs> he's massive, right? And he had reasons to be afraid, didn't he? 
The whole army was afraid. They were greatly afraid. King Saul was greatly afraid. He was a teenager. Goliath strong. He had been in battle many times where he killed many people before. And then there's David. So uh, the atmosphere around that camp for 40 days and 40 nights was fear. They could feel it. This guy's coming out boasting, boasting. I'm going to kick your butt. I'll send your best guy out here. And they finally do send David out. He goes, what, are you going to send me a little dog? Well, you guys know the whole story, right? You know what happened. So um, David runs at him in faith. You don't run at something that you're afraid of. He had faith that God was with him. All right? He had faith that God was with him. And he ran, and of course, they had a great victory that day. And David was greatly rewarded. His name became famous throughout all the land. He was rewarded with King Saul's daughter as his wife, which sometimes like, hmm, don't know how much of a reward that was at times. Sometimes it was. Sometimes it didn't seem to be a reward as she kind of betrayed him a few times. Anyway, um, he received, the Bible says, great wealth. And he and his family were tax-exempt in Israel for the rest of their lives. It's a pretty sweet prize, right? So uh, that's what he was rewarded with. Also, David experienced great favor with the king and his family. He made a covenant with Jonathan, became best friends. Uh, David was promoted to a high rank in the army of Israel. Even though he was too young to technically serve, he still was promoted to a high rank. And uh, for, I'll read to show you in 1 Samuel 18.5. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. Things couldn't have been going any better for David in his young life. And you know, it is very easy for us to believe the word of the Lord over your life when everything's peachy cream, when everything's going smooth and easy. He's having victory after victory after victory, promotion and promotion. He's getting money. He's tax exempt. He's getting all these things happening in his life. Everything's going well. It's very easy to believe the word of the Lord, the word of the prophet over his life, all the different things that happened. It's easy to believe. But when it's hard to believe is when things aren't going well, when everything is contrary to what you've heard. Then it's hard to remember, hard to believe what God said was true because it doesn't feel true because everything looks contrary to that. And David had to battle this. He didn't know it yet, but it was coming. So one day, uh, King Saul hears the latest popular song by the ladies outside the castle. It was the Spotify of their day, I guess. And he's singing, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. He didn't like that song. That wasn't his favorite song he ever heard. And uh, this made him burn with anger and jealousy. And it says from that day on, he kept a close watch on David. Well, the very next day, he's having one of his temper tantrums. He's having, really, he's having a demonic attack. So David comes in to play the liar for him. And next thing you know, he throws his spear at him trying to kill him. I mean, he just went from son-in-law, hero of Israel, Goliath killer, to he's looking at his, his guy that he idolizes, King Saul, the guy he wants to be like one day. You know, they say, don't meet your heroes. So I think David was probably feeling that at that time. And it's next you know, he's throwing a spear at him. And it says he eluded him twice. And he's like, okay, I guess he's having a bad day. I don't know. He, he gets out of there. Uh, then Saul starts sending him on these very dangerous missions, maybe these secret CIA David Webb assignments, we don't know, they, trying to get him killed on these missions. But David was successful in all of them. And sometime later, he's playing, for the, playing the liar for King Saul once again. Either David is very bold or crazy or whatever. I don't know if I want to go back in there. But I guess when your king orders you to do something, you've got to do it. So he's in there playing. And all of a sudden, he gets mad again, throws a spear at him again, and David gets out of there. And so after that, he goes home to his wife, which is Saul's daughter. And next, in, that, in the night, uh, King Saul sends men in there to kill him. And he has to escape out the window to get from, away from his life. 
So that happens. He's on, the, he's on the run. He goes to find the prophet Samuel to try to find out what he's supposed to do. Well, Saul hears about this. Uh, that he's on his way to see Samuel at Ramah. So he sends men there. Uh, he sends troops there to kill him. And it doesn't say how many he sent, but he sent troops there to kill him. When they got there to Ramah, all the troops that were there to kill him start prophesying. Saul hears about it. He's like, okay, that's weird. He sends more troops there, and they start prophesying. Then he sends a third uh, set of troops, and they start prophesying. Then Saul goes, that's it. I'm going myself. So he goes with some troops, and he starts prophesying. It says naked all day and all night until morning. And then they, that's why they started saying, is Saul among the prophets? Now, if I saw Saul naked prophesying all day and all night, I don't think I'd be thinking, was Saul among the prophets? I'd be thinking, Saul lost his mind. I mean, what is he doing? What, what's that about? Like, keep your clothes on, dude, like, whatever. But I want you to see, God protected David in very unusual ways sometimes. He sends men to kill David, yet God turns them into temporary prophets to protect David from harm. God knows how to protect his people when we stay in our identity of who we really are and not walk outside of those things. Um, so I want to point out here that God, again, knew how to protect David. So far, David's, David had done a great job with living out of who God said he was, a great job of walking in integrity and character. He had done a great job because he hadn't had any adversity. Well, after this time, now after all these things, uh, he's feeling a little more challenged. His father-in-law is trying to kill him. It had to hurt. I mean, he, I, I think he really looked up to him. Clearly, he bows down to him even, even at times after he tried to kill him. He said, do not touch the Lord's anointed. He had, he had honor for him and respected him. So God had protected David over and over and over again. But David started to doubt it. How long can God keep this up? How long am I going to really be protected for? And God had protected him with the lion and the bear. He protected him from Goliath. He protected him from the spears from Saul, uh, challenging missions, trying to kill him at his home, troops being sent out to kill him, and they turned to prophets. He had protected him again and again and again. But David started to struggle with, how long is God going to keep doing this for me? How long until uh, Saul gets me? So over time, this hunt for David continues and goes on. And David finds himself in the back of a cave, and King Saul goes in there, the Bible says, to relieve himself. You have to figure out what that means. We don't, we don't know what he was doing, but he was doing something to relieve himself. <laughs> anyway, and so David sneaks up from behind him and cuts off a portion of his robe. And he could have killed him. His men could have easily killed him. Nothing anyone could do. And then Dave, uh, Saul leaves the cave, and David feels convicted in his spirit, his heart, for cutting off uh, Saul's robe. He felt bad for that. He didn't boast about it. He really felt bad about it. So then he goes outside and said, my, my father, the king, you know, and, and he says, uh, honor to the king or something like that. And then he goes, look what I have here. The Lord let, let you fall into my hands, but I spared your life. And then uh, King Saul repents, and he goes back home. Then again later, Samuel dies, and uh, King Saul changes his mind, gets angry again, and he goes after David again. So then uh, David stumbles upon the men, and King Saul's sleeping with a spear and a jug of water by his head, and they could have easily put that spear through him and killed him. But he took the jug of water and the spear, and then when morning came, he woke, woke them up and said, uh, started mouthing off to the, the, uh, his bodyguard who was supposed to protect him, like, fine job you're doing. We could have killed him in his sleep, and you wouldn't even have known anything. Just really telling him. But then he said, again, David, you are more righteous than I am. And he says, 
I'm, I, I'm, I'm done. The manhunt's over. I'm going back home. So with David, again and again, is protected by God. But he starting to doubt whether, like, how long is this going to last for? How long do I have to keep doing this? I'm supposed to be king. This guy's still, I mean, I think he's probably around 60 or so. He could still be king for a long, long time. How long am I going to be on the run? At this time, he had been on the run for close to four years. And he just didn't know it was going to change. And again, your true identity in the Lord is going to be tested. You get a prophetic word from God that you're going to be this and you're going to do that. It's probably not going to happen the next day. It's probably not going to happen the next year. It's, it might be 24 years like it was for Abraham. It might be who, for how many years it was for David. He became king at 30, so it could be up to 13 years or 15 years from when he was anointed king by Samuel. It could be a long time from then, but the battle is from when the word is given till the word is fulfilled. Are you going to believe what God said? And, when it, and when it, again, when it was going easy, David really believed this. But when the going got tough, he started to doubt who he really was. He started to doubt, well, maybe God's not really with me. If he's really with me, all these good things happen, like the raises, the promotions, the tax-free. I got this great wealth. I got a wife. I got all these things happening. But when God wasn't with him, he's living in caves. He's sleeping outside. He's on the run. And that's how he was, I think he was interpreting these things. And I'm going to show you why I'm saying this. Because David had a thought that didn't come from God. And this is First uh, Samuel 27.1. And David said in his heart, now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. This is after the second time he, he could have killed Saul. After the second time, Saul canceled the manhunt and went back home. He said, now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines, and Saul will despair of me to seek me any more in any part of Israel, so I shall escape out of his hand. David starts coming up with his own plan in his own heart of how to escape King Saul's hand, something that God didn't tell him to do. And how do we know God didn't tell him to do this? Because God said he was the next king. God already anointed him king when he was 15 years old. So how could he become king if Saul's going to kill him? He started believing a lie because he's on the run and he had all these. But God kept saving him again and again and again. But after a while, I think he got weary of well-doing. He got tired of the fight. He got tired of living in a cave, maybe having to hunt down his food every day or whatever. He got tired and weary, and he started to believe the voice of the snake instead of the voice of God. He's going to kill you. He's going to get you. One of these days, you're not going to be so lucky. It's not luck. It wasn't luck. You just, you can't, luck doesn't make how many soldiers they sent out there turn into prophets. Luck doesn't make King Saul do whatever he did. You know, <laughs> anyway. Um, so who told him this? The prophet Samuel didn't tell him this. I mean, uh, uh, King Saul didn't tell him this. Jonathan didn't tell him this. In fact, both of them said, one day you're going to be king, and we're going we're to be under you. Please save our family. Please don't kill our family when you become king. They both pleaded him with that. So one, somehow along the way, he started to believe the liar, and his life started going downhill fast. Okay, I'm going to show you what happened after this decision. Because he, he does move him and his 600 men with him now. They move to the Philistine land in Ziglag, in that area. And he's living there now for 16 months. Not on the run, but as a bandit, as a murderer, as a thief, as a crook. That's our King David. That we, that's what he's doing. Okay, I'm going to show you in the Bible in case you're, don't want me to talk bad about King David. I like him. He's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. But the guy has the highs and lows in his life. So, um, let me go down this verse here. 
Okay, yeah. Psalm 27, 11 and 12. David would save neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, saying, lest, lest they should inform on us, saying, thus David did. And thus was, I must have picked the King James Version with all the thuses, but anyway. And thus was his behavior all the time he dwelt in the country of the Philistines. And Achish believed David, saying, he has made his people Israel utterly abhorred him. Therefore, he will be my servant forever. So what was going on there, I know that's very wordy, but what's going on there was David's living here, and he's telling this king of Gath, who Gath is the tribe that Goliath came from. He's telling this king that he had just killed, you know, anyway, previously, that, hey, we're going out every day, we're fighting these battles, and we're killing the Israelites. In reality, they were killing Philistines, but he told them they were killing uh, the Israelites, and he was killing men, women, and it says everybody, so no one would go back to him and tell him what he was actually doing for 16 months. And he was looting the places, burning them down, and taking all their stuff with them. Yeah, anyone feel um, blessed yet? I mean, so anyway, the Philistine armies come together for this big war against Israel, and all the commanders and uh, the armies were together. And they rec one of the, a few of them recognized uh, David from maybe killing Goliath. I don't know, some of them recognized him. They recognized some of the Hebrews that were with him. And they go, what are those guys doing here on our side? He goes, that, that's, they're Israelites, they're Hebrews. And so they said, we don't trust him. He can't fight with us. So they send him back home. They send him back home, and that's when he finds out his camp has been burned to the ground and his family was taken from him. The things that he had just been sowing in his life for the last 16 months of burning people's houses to the ground, taking their families, except for he actually killed all their families when they didn't. But so uh, 1 Samuel 30, 3 and 4. So David and his men came to the city where, he, where it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. David's life went downhill really fast when he decided in his own heart what he was going to do. He made his own decision what he was going to do. He decided how he was going to protect himself by moving to the Philistine land. So asking, inquiring of the Lord what he wanted him to do. His life went downhill fast. And there's a pattern in, in this. So, uh, verse 6. Now David was greatly distressed. The people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his son and his daughter. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. So for every reason, all the people blamed David for what just what happened. You made us move to the Philistine territory. You made us, we followed you here. We did this, we did that. You led us into all these things. And now our family is gone. Our camp's burned to the ground, and this is all your fault. We're going to kill you. They're ready to kill him. So David, I think it finally came to his senses that my life was better before this at one point. What did I do differently back then when my life was good? It says he strengthened himself in the Lord. I think he came to his senses and remembered what he needed to do. And he remembered who he was. He remembered the, the, the lion, the bear. He remembered Goliath. He remembered the things he used to do, the songs he used to sing, the, the praises he used to give. And it says he inquired of the Lord, what is, the, what is he to do next? Now, as a warrior, a David Webb, a Jason Bourne kind of a guy, I don't know how many would pray about what they should do when someone took your family. You get on your horse, your donkey, your camel, whatever, and you get over there and you get them back, right? But David finally decides to do something right for once. He had been living for 16 months doing it his way, trying to figure it all out of his own strength. He's like, I'm going to ask God what he wants me to do. We see this in 1 Samuel 30, verse 8. 
So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. David went back to what he knew, back to what he used to do right. And, in, uh, and even in that emotional state where he's like, his kids are gone. He had two wives in this story. His third wife was still back in uh, uh, Jerusalem, and King Saul had given his daughter to some other guy to be the wife of. It was it's crazy back then, <laughs> some of the stuff that happened. But the one thing that he did right, again, he inquired of the Lord what he's to do, and God told him what to do. So fast forward years later, there's another mistake David made. This is uh, King Saul's now dead. David is now the new king. First Chronicles 21 and 1 and 2. Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. So David said to Joab and to the leaders of the people, Go number Israel from Bathsheba to Dan and bring the number of them to me that I might know it. Now David knew this was wrong. Joab, his commanding officer, knew this was wrong. He's like, why are you doing this thing? This is evil in the eyes of the Lord. Why are you doing this thing? He's like, just do it. And so, of course, he's the king. He had to do it. So the devil, the devil moved David's heart, most likely through fear that he needed to know how many troops he had because the Philistines were gathering up troops again for another battle, or somebody else was, and he had to figure out a way to protect himself again. He had to know things he didn't really need to know. He didn't inquire of the Lord. He didn't ask God's advice. He knew it was wrong. He did it anyway, and there was great consequences for this disobedience. God, through a prophet, Gad, comes and tells him, you have a choice, David. You can have three years of famine, You'd have three months of being defeated by your enemies or three days of the sword of the Lord, a plague on your people. And so David said, I'm going to fall on the hand of the mercy of God. I'm going to pick the third one. I'll show you Chronicles 21, 13, 14. And David said to God, I am in great distress. Please let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are very great. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel, and 70,000 men of Israel fell. His decision had great consequences. Inspired from the devil, inspired by fear, he moved out of his emotions, out of uh, fear and different things. Instead of moving to who God says he was, going inquiring of the Lord what he wanted him to do and living out of that reality of who he really is. And you know what? Every single person here has done something like that. Fortunately for us, 70,000 people didn't die because of it. But we've done something like that. We've been moved by fear. We've been moved by what if, and we better not, this happens, we got to do this, and this happens. I better do this job. I better change this job. I better quit this place and go over there because they laid it off so-and-so, so maybe I better go find another job before it happens to me. And we don't inquire of the Lord of what he wants us to do. And, how, and David did inquire the Lord every time. It always would go well. It wasn't always easy, but it always would go well. But when he just went his own way, just like, oh, I'm going to figure this out on my own, it always went bad. There's no other guy in the Bible like David that you can see these examples so clearly in. Let me show you another one, okay? You probably know which one I'm going to next. It's about some beautiful chick on the rooftop. You probably heard of her, all right? So it was time for kings to go to war. That was the time. And he had the thought, I think I'm going to stay home this time. You know, we kicked their butts last year so easily. I don't even, they don't need me out there. I'm just going to stay home. I'm not going to go. He did not inquire of the Lord. He didn't ask God he was supposed to go. He decided, and the devil had a plot, a trap all set for him when he, when he did this. So we all know what happened. One night he was on the rooftop. He sees Rasheba bathing, and he was attracted to her, and he asked somebody, who's that? And so they said, oh, that's Rasheba. And he tells, the guy tells him that this lady is married to one of your soldiers in the army who's out fighting right now. 
You'd think that'd be enough for him being a warrior, soldier himself. He's like, oh no, I, I want her anyway. So he takes her home and then they have an affair and she becomes pregnant. And David's like, okay, I gotta figure this out. I don't want anyone to know this. I gotta cover up my, again, look at the mess that he's made. The mess he just keeps, and he keeps making it worse. So then he goes and brings us the Uriah home from the war, hoping that he'd sleep with his wife. But he said, I'm not going to do that because all of my, all my men, all my family are on the battle lines, on the front line fighting. I'm not going to go and enjoy the comfort of my wife when these guys are out here potentially dying. So he doesn't do it, so David has to move to plan B. Have you guys ever watched the movie The Man with the Iron Mask? Okay, you watch that movie. It's an older movie, kind of like back in the King's days and stuff like that, and Camelot kind of stuff, or that time frame and uh, basically this king does the exact same thing that David does and I watched that movie I'm like I get so angry at that guy I'm like how could he do that I can't believe it but look at what David's does here so his plan B was he sends Uriah with a note back to his army to give this to Joab and he's carrying back his own death sentence to him he doesn't even know it this man's honorable he's noble he's got character he's fighting he's doing all the right stuff David messes up and he covers it up Gives this letter, Joab, uh, he gives it to Joab, and what happens in the next fight, he sends him to the front line, and all the men pull back from him until he's dead. And uh, so, of course, Nathan the prophet comes, and he does that whole, I won't go into all that today. You guys know that. He tells him what he had done wrong. But um, David just keeps making a mess and a mess and a mess when he operated his own ideas, his own strength, his own thoughts. When he didn't inquire of the Lord, he just kept making more messes. And it ended up being death after death after death. He had death in the first example when, um, in the land of the Philistines when he was robbing people and killing people and stealing all their stuff. We had death of the 70,000 people that died on his second example I gave. And this time, uh, his son died, him and Bathsheba's son died, and also Uriah died. Guys, God has a plan for your life. And we can't just say, God, I'm going to do it this way, and will you bless it? He really doesn't work like that. He's first all the time. He's first all the time. He's, he just is first. And we have to say, God, what do you want me to do? Inquire of the Lord, and it's going to go well for you. David, in the Bible, he did this nine times. Nine times it says he inquired of the Lord, more than anyone else you can find in the Bible. Nine times, and every single time, it went well for him. And these other examples where he didn't, you can clearly see it went really bad. So it's quite possible God put these stories in the Bible not to shame David or his family, but for us to say, hey, I think I got a pattern here. I think I should not do what David did right, but not do what he did wrong. And find out what God's saying to you and live out of who he says you are. Because when he believed that God was with him, he had victory, he had success, he had promotion, he had protection, all these good things going on. When he believed he had to protect himself, believed he had to figure it all out by himself, believed that Saul was going to kill him, things just went bad and bad and bad for him. So I think the secret to the mistakes that David made was written really well by David's nextborn son, Solomon, in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. You might think this is a good idea. And to God, it's like, hmm, not a good idea. I don't care if your mother did it. I don't care if your uncle did it. I don't care if the neighbor did it. I don't care. That's not a good idea for your life. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. He shall. But do we let him? Do we want him to? Is he going to inconvenience our schedule, inconvenience our, 
our flow of life of how we got it all figured out because our lives are so perfect already. We can't possibly want God to intervene in any way in our life because it's already going great already, right? A little sarcasm there. I know, no one here, I'm sure life is horrible. But I'm just saying, I just wonder what it could be like if we inquire to the Lord, what do you want me to do? What, what is my mission? What, what, how do you want me to do that? What is my assignment? Why am I here? And we start inquiring to the Lord like David did. And we see the same kind of results. David thought to himself from false identity, which led to defeat every time. When he thought of, inquired of the Lord, his true identity, it led to victory every time. Could that be a pattern God wants us to figure out? I think it is. It took me a while too, but I was like, I've seen this in here. And uh, I think God wants us to know this. When we're in a challenging situation, when we don't know what to do, we need to go inquire of the Lord and ask him, what do you want me to do? Not like, oh, man, put the pressure. i got to figure this out. If I don't, we're going to go bankrupt. If I don't, we're going to go this. This is going to happen. We're going to get a divorce. My wife's going to leave me. This is going to happen. That's going to happen. If I don't figure this out and put all this pressure on ourselves and ourselves, and you don't have the ability to come up with a good enough idea to fix it. But God knows. He knows if we just trust him with all of our heart and don't lean in logic and understanding. Lean into him that he's going to be faithful and just to protect you, to provide for you, to give you what you need to know to help you through whatever you're going to go through in life. We have to be confident like David was in the beginning that God is with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Okay? Um, I want to just, I'm going to end with sharing just some questions. There was nine, nine times I mentioned that he inquired of the Lord. I just want to go through just quickly summarizing these questions of what he asked God. And you know what? God answered him every time. You know, sometimes we give God five minutes. And like, all right, God, you got five minutes. If you don't answer me in five minutes, I'm doing it my way. Now, I'm saying this because you say, how do you know that, Pastor? Because I've done it. <laughs> I'm in the same boat with you guys. I'm not saying you guys. I'm saying we, people. We get, think we're at McDonald's or something, and God, have it our way, not McDonald's in Newland after school, but, but uh, in the morning they're, they're okay, but in the time after school, you might be there an hour. But anyway, or Hardee's or anywhere else around, but um, yeah, anyway, but uh, have it your way. We have to ask God, what do you want? And believe that he really loves you enough that he's going to tell you. And then you have to trust him enough to try to do what he tells you to do. And guess what? What he tells you to do is probably something you've never thought of before. That's a good clue it was God. I never would have thought of that. And it's going to be something that you, uh, you, you might believe I can't do that. And most likely that will be the very thing he tells you to do. And in that moment you're going to like, am I going to trust God? Or am I going to just keep doing it my way and play it safe? So here's one of the questions David would ask, inquire of the Lord. He, said, he would ask, should I go? Or, or should I do this? You can say, because you might not be going, you're not obviously going to attack Goliath or anything. But you, you can ask God, should I go or should I do this? Another example, uh, God, do you want me to talk to this person? Do you want me to help so-and-so? Obviously, we can't help everybody. We're, gonna, we're not God. We can't do everything. But he does have people that you can help. So we need to ask him, do you want me to do this? Again, Jesus modeled this perfectly, didn't he? He didn't, talk, he didn't have time to talk to everybody. He did the best that he could, but he helped people, and people sometimes he couldn't help help themselves by touching him himself, and they got healed in that way too. Um, number two from David was, will I win, or will this work? That's an okay question to ask God. It's okay. I'm going to do this. Is it going to work? Because <laughs> guess what? When he tells you, you're going to wonder, is this really going to work? I'll tell you this story. I'm um, reading it in a book. It's, it's pretty crazy, but... Um, 
this guy is teaching on how to hear God's voice and obeying these absurd even things that God tells him to do sometime. And one of them was, he was a cop at the time, and he asked him, and uh, God asked him, what do you want me to do with this case? He was in, I don't know, New York, Chicago, somewhere, and there was a gang guy, and he was a really bad guy in the gang, a leader, and he said, well, how do you want me to handle this case? And God tells him, I want you to take that man home and let him sleep at your house tonight. He's like, again, something he wouldn't have thought of, something he doesn't want to do, something he's doubting very quickly. That's a good sign when you guys hear something like that. It's probably God. Just remember that. And me too. All right, so he's like, okay, this can't be God. I mean, this guy's a killer. He's doing drugs. He's selling drugs. He's bad news. And God's like, just trust me. So he brings this guy home, ministers to him the love of God, shares the gospel with him. The guy gives his life to Christ. He gets released somehow from his charges, goes out, and every one of his gang members gets saved through him. God has a better way. God has a better way. We just have to ask him and find out. I'll tell you another one really quick. This one's crazy too. This, it was in a Muslim country where this certain sect uh, didn't, the Muslim, the Muslim didn't like them, didn't respect them. I don't remember what it was, but anyway, they would kill them, attack them, persecute them. And so when they wanted to go in and just get a driver's license or something, the government would just like, no, we don't like you. You can't get your driver's license. This guy waited in line for six hours one day to get his license. As soon as he got to line, they just looked at the color of his skin, who he was, like, no. Didn't look at his ID, didn't look at anything, no. So this man who wrote the book um, that I've been reading tells this story how he was teaching him how to hear God's voice. And at first he has to get past the doubts of God doesn't love me, God wouldn't want to speak to me. God doesn't care. He had to get past all those lies of the enemy and just get with God. And he, he asked God one day, do you want me to get my driver's license? And he hears God say yes. He said, all right. Well, so the next day he goes, their DMV, whatever theirs is called, he shows up there, waits in line like we have to do when we go uh, there. And probably they had to wait longer, I'm sure. He gets to the line. But this time, it was, it was a different officer, but this time, the guy says, all right, let's go to the car. It's time for your driving test. He was stunned. He's like, he's, even though God told him to go, he's, when it starts working out, he's like, you gotta sometimes get shocked. So he starts driving with this guy, and he's kind of nervous now because this guy's right beside him, and he's taking notes and stuff, and he's driving. And while he's driving down the road, and all of a sudden, the guy sees an injured cat, a stray cat on the side of the road that was injured. And he's not even a cat lover or anything that, like that, but he hears God say, Stop and help that cat. <laughs> that is something you would not think of while you're taking your driver's license test, right? You're just not going to think like that. And he's like, oh, God, is this really you? And he's like, what do you think? And he's like, oh, man. He's so, and the guy can tell he's distracted. And he says, what do you, what's going on over there? You seem like you're thinking about something. He goes, well, I kind of feel like God wants me to stop and help that cat we passed him in to go back there that I've been hit by a car. He goes, What? He goes, you, did you see the cat? He's on the side of he's suffering. He's suddenly struggling. He goes, I'd like to stop and help him if that's okay. And the guy's like, he goes, he goes, well, you really think your God's telling you to do that? And he goes, yeah, I think God's telling me to do that. So they go back. And, they, and it's hard to believe they did. So anyway, they went back. And the guy's like, well, I don't want to touch that cat. That nasty thing's all dirty. It's, it's bleeding. I don't want to touch him. And he goes, well, can I use your hat to scoop him up into it and put him in the hat? This guy had an officer's hat on. He goes, dude, man, you're not going to use my hat to put that nasty cat in there. He goes, listen, my family owes a dry cleaner place. I'll clean your hat for you. I'll make it better than ever. Just let me use your hat. And the guy goes, you would actually clean my hat? Because for years, this, this group had persecuted this group, killed some of his family members, burnt down some of their houses, and here he is willing to serve him in this way of 
uh, washing his hat. So he lets him, he puts the cat in the hat, that chapter's called Cat in the Hat, and uh, he puts the cat in the hat, takes him to the vet, and the vet, they had to stay there for several hours as the vet treated the cat, helped the cat, and was able to save the cat. Uh, then they leave, go back to the DMV to get things worked out, and he gets back, and the guy said, he gives him his license and said, you are a very good driver. No one gets licenses from that tribe or that group over there. But guess what? If God tells you to do something, he's going to make a way out of no way. And it probably won't be the way you think is logical. It's probably not the way it's been done before. He's supernaturally creative, and he's going he's to show you what to do. So the, um, in question three uh, that David would ask was, how should I go? Not, if, if I should go, are we going to win? Then how I should do it? And you can ask these questions of God in your own way, in your own heart, in your own life, when you are in a challenging situation or in a common everyday situation. You want to know how you should minister to somebody, how you should, who's in your life that you can minister to to help get saved or to encourage today. Who should I call? Who should I bless? What should I say? Or what should I, or should I send a card, a letter, a message? What should I do? Should I go to their house? Should I buy them flowers? Just asking him, and he will lead you in the path of righteousness for his namesake. Amen? So I want us to learn from David, myself too, that when you get weary in well-doing, when you have things going wrong, he was, he had things, there was no doubt he had things going wrong. His father-in-law is trying to kill him. He's the king, sending 3,000 soldiers out sometimes looking for him. He's on the run, he's on, he's on, and he started to doubt God was with him. And I think he, when we judge if God's with us or not by our circumstances, by our situations, if your marriage didn't work out, if this didn't go right or that didn't go right, if God's not with me because this happened, this happened, this happened, I think you need to ask God the question and not just assume. God, are you still with me? And just ask him, then why did this happen? And he'll minister to your heart. He'll tell you the truth that sets you free. He'll speak mysteries. He might give you a scripture verse or something. Just ask the Lord, and he will bring. He's the lover of your soul. He'll help you. He wants to help you. We don't have to keep him over there because we're ashamed of what we did or the decisions we made or if it's our blame or our fault. He wants to. It's the only way to have a successful life in him is with him. <laughs> Right? I don't know why we think his, his death was enough, and so, and so we're on our own now. He doesn't think like that. Amen? He is with you. He said, even to the ends of the world. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And that's why people like John could be boiled in oil and just sit there like they're a rubber ducky in a bathtub, and nothing's going on, like when they try to kill him. That's why they, they didn't have to fear because they knew God is with me. And if anything, this year, I believe God's trying to get me and us to have this revelation that God's with you. Not just on Sunday when we feel his presence because we have our favorite songs or whatever's going on. But 24-7, every day of your life, God is with you. And he's for you, not against you. Amen. If you guys want to stand, I want to pray and bless you. And I'll pray for the food as well. Let's not live in a place of spiritual amnesia where we forget who we are. But live at the place of our true identity and who God says we are. Because that's where success really is. It's just doing what God asks you to do and living on who God says you really are. So Father, I bless your people today. I ask you to help us remember when the going gets tough.
when there's challenges in life we weren't planning on, when things, when life throws us a curveball we weren't expecting, God, that we will remember that you are with us. And this test wasn't meant for evil. This test is meant for our good. And our test is going to turn around for a testimony as we acknowledge that you're with us and that we can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and not have to fear evil because we know you're still with us. You're still here. You're not going anywhere. Never will you leave us. Never will you forsake us. And so, God, I just thank you today for your word. Help us to learn these lessons and put them into practice and walk out and live out of who you really say that we are. I thank you for your people. Bless them in Jesus' name. And, God, I bless the food. Bless the hands prepared it. Pray we have a great time of fellowship uh, together as a family. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. You're dismissed. Hope you guys can stay and eat with us. Hope and uh, we'll have a great time together.